So here we are, podcast number 76. Thank you for joining us, guys. Ding, um, ding, 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 ding. So uh, the first thing we should kick off with, uh, the good bit of news is that the Prosthetics event 2021 is on. It's yes, happening. November the 13th. In the arena. Now, it, uh, it says here on the on the address it's Rico Arena, but it's also the Coventry Building Society Arena, previously known as the Rico Arena, and it's up in Coventry. Um, yeah, and it's a one-day thing, but obviously people get there the day before, but the beauty of it being one day means you can realistically travel, do the thing, and then go without mm-hmm. having to stay in the hotel. So, so that's cool. So the prosthetics event's happening, and we should be trying to. Well, we're going to try and do something. Um, uh, it's it, all dependent on a lot of things because it's all come around rather quickly. Yeah. So um, tw- 2019 was the last wa- last time. Yeah. 2019. So it's been two which years. Was a good one. But um. But yeah. So hopefully. Um, it should all go well, uh, but you know, uh, it, it, the tricky thing is having something done by then, um, because <laughs> at the moment I'm, I'm still flat out on, yeah. a, on, a, on a movie until probably not far off of when that dot date starts. So um, I'm not quite sure that's going to work. But uh, I'm really excited for the next issue of Prosthetics Magazine to come out because I think our our latest article is a good one. I think so. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to make people things that make you go hmm <laughs> yeah it's about uh, a makeup that we worked on um where together was it? March? yeah together march april time i think so um, i have to look at my calendar but it was it was a, a little bit ago but we worked on it. it's the first time we've gotten to work well actually it's not true because you you helped sculpt um a beast prosthetic for a production of beauty and the beast yeah, but I had to fly to Colorado to do that. Yeah, but, but this Christmas. way we've done it transatlantically. <laughs> yeah, which was awesome. Because I did do something, uh, remember, at the last prosthetics event, uh, that makeup I did with, with Neil Morrill. Uh, but we, right. we did a thing where I lifecast Normski here. I shipped the lifecast over to Toronto. And then um, Neil sculpted it and then posted the sculpt back. So we did everything practically, but obviously there was the, the time it takes for things to be posted and the risk and jeopardy involved. In yeah, and not to mention things. the expense. And the expense. So this was nice to do a lot of it digitally, which was awesome. But anyway, we won't get too much into that because of the magazine. We don't want to d- d- disclose too much about that because it's all in the article. But, um, but yeah, that was a good one. We had a really nice uh, message uh, sent through by Michael Mosher. Um, oh, how was Michael doing? He's doing good. It was uh, a comment on post number 74, uh, uh, Foam of Filament, which was uh, the one we did a couple back. Um, and he said, uh, Todd, if you spray a light spray of 3M glue into your negative, you'll never get steam lakes. Um, I was having a terrible time running a mold that I'd run a million times in the past, getting those pesky collapsed pockets. And he called Mark Vignello for help. And this was a simple method to stop the pockets in their tracks. It all of a sudden happened in a mold that I hadn't happened before. Um, so there we go. Um, and he mentions about uh, helping with your next book. Let's <laughs> do about uh, yes, the please. Cat method. Um, yeah, because I, I guess uh, I guess we might as well say that now because I I have gotten a green light from my publisher for a fourth edition. Oh, that's so cool! Awesome yeah, stuff. So, so there, plenty, plenty yes, work. For so, you Michael, then. yes, I would love to to have uh, a Michael Mosher 
presence in the book and definitely want to have more more Stuart Bray as well. Oh, cool. He, uh, I think he this is going to be a, this is going to be a, um, I can't wait to get really get cracking on this one. Well, the thing is we've written a fair bit together now on the, on the magazine article. So it should be uh, quite nice. And you know, the, the flow is there for, for those things. Well, he says um, uh, that his, his, his hair prep method for the ball cap, which if you remember is DVD, he's got a very cool way mm -hmm. of working the hair. It's a, little, it's a really good trick. one. Uh, it seems to become an industry standard, but I was appalled to see how it was de-engineered when I worked on a commercial with 125 ball caps. I had to teach about 30 union hairdressers, so there was an exact me message to my madness. So um, thank you, Michael. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, Todd, I guess you guys can chat and, and figure that out. Yeah, yeah. His, his uh, process for prepping hair is unique, to say the least, and pretty Effective. cool. Yeah. Um, one thing I just wanted to mention as well, I was going to talk, there's a couple of things we're talking about. One was, uh, I just wanted to go over um, COVID and filmmaking, just because sure. um, that's, it's having a direct effect on the work that we, you know, that we do in, in, in this past year. I know you did something, where did you go? We were doing that cowboy thing. Um, up to South Dakota. South yeah, Dakota. that was, that was last summer um, in June. Okay. So I wasn't too far into the lockdown-y type uh, times. Um, mm -hmm. And I started, I mean, I did the first makeup stuff I'd done was earlier this year in The Witcher. And that was in January. So that's the first time I'd been sticking makeups on on a bigger production. We did some stuff for The Power before. Uh, mm -hmm. And it varied. And it was interesting to see how things were different uh, and how things have changed over time. But I want to talk a little about COVID and filmmaking, and then we're going to talk about um, breaking down pieces as well. So, but with the COVID thing, um, one thing I just wanted to say, which was really cool, is I've been looking into because I noticed that some of the studios I've been working at they're building new sound stages, and that's always a good sign because that costs money to to put Absolutely. down bricks and mortar. Um, but uh, filming in the UK is going mental they are filming like gangbusters um and apparently <laughs> in a 2018 report real estate consultancy firm had estimated there was a requirement for up to 1.9 million square feet of new film studio space required in the uk to meet demand holy cow um, that's crazy and when yeah and when you've got like i think like disney and stuff have got big leases and netflix and stuff you know f on various studios for years uh booked in already then it's a good indication that things are set to look good. And I, I have to say, seeing as so many people have been burning through box sets, uh, you know, watching stuff because they've been on lockdown or they can't get out, you know, a lot of subscriptions have gone on towards Prime and Hulu and all that kind of stuff. So a lot more people are streaming stuff. So there's a lot more money sloshing around in the production area of things. So it seems to be that um, filmmaking is one of the, R rare kind of industries where they've actually done quite well out of it <laughs> because oddly once they've found their covid legs it's kind of worked out well so i just thought it was worth sort of looking over why that might be the case um i think one of the things is that productions have got the money to to to, to sort of test regularly because i know at the moment the thing i'm on unless right. this is like three times a week so they're checking everyone in their little bubbles to make sure everyone's clear so they can keep on top of that thing and also i think it suits productions quite well to be able to keep everyone with passes so they can tap in and swipe to their various uh, zones that they're supposed to be in so you can have people mm -hmm. like for example if you're doing makeup on an actor then obviously you're going to be 
you know, with cast. So you're at a different level of sort of uh, scrutiny than somebody that who might be, you know, lugging <coughs> scaffolding around and not necessarily anywhere near performance. So, right. Do you know what I mean? So you can you can afford to structure things in a different way, um, and I think filmmaking can do that quite well. Now, do you have dedicated COVID officers uh, through production, or are they, you know, people who are, are already working in other capacities in the business, but have gotten trained and certified as COVID officers to? No, you'll have like a, a complete COVID department, and uh, you know they'll organise and liaise with people with regards to things like testing and stuff. Um, and well, because what I'm asking is because because I'm 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 trained as a COVID officer, and you know if I'm on a production where I'm not being haven't been hired, or they don't have any prosthetic work mm. on the show, you know, and they say, hey, can you fill in and do this? You know, like I've got a three day shoot coming up uh, beginning of October, where mm. I'm going to be the COVID officer, and we're going to be doing rapid tests on everybody um, the morning of the first day, and go from there okay um, but i'm not but i'm not doing makeup i'm just doing uh COVID COVID compliance work i'll just you know be in the hall monitor yes uh so yeah you do have your dedicated you know each production will have its dedicated COVID, COVID officer and then they break down into various roles under that and you'll have like you know dedicated testing facilities on site for each production and you, you often have it at the studio but also on location as well i know we we're filming in locations and stuff there'll be you know places you'll go and get tested regularly and all that kind of stuff so there's that mm-hmm. um and um obviously the things like the ppe and, and protocols when you're working on the actual talent as well so you know you're going to be your face is going to be near them so you're almost you know always going to be wearing a mask and or visor and or, or goggles you know whatever the production requires all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. at first it was like really tricky i mean especially the face visors when it was early on um, things here have calmed down a bit, so now we're sort of wearing more. It's the, it's the goggles, so that you don't ingest stuff through your eyes and then masks and stuff. Um, so they have pretty good safety protocols. But you know, you got things like studios. If you're filming in a studio or you know a soundstage, you, you have the space for things. You can blow the air around, and it, I'm quite impressed with how productions are kind of you know keeping everything safe and no more than is necessary in the room and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, depending where you're filming and what's what um, but if you're testing everybody and you're you know you're keeping crew that need to be there there and those that don't not there and then they sort of structure meal times at different times and mm-hmm. everyone's still social distancing doing those kind of things it's actually amazing how single serve meals and you know no, yeah everything no kind more of big bowls up. of m&ms yes none of that so uh, points of contact are kind of minimized and obviously that's what the, the covid team do that's their job to look out for these things and think about these things and um, it's it's working out well. So I just wanted to sort of say, you know, uh, from a positive point of view, how devastating COVID's been. It seems like now everyone's kind of found their COVID feet. And, you know, there are apps now where you track your test results and they'll let you know when your next test is due and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's, it's kind of streamlined everything quite nicely. Um, but um, certainly with, with, with regards to the way things have you know, filming, and, and I was always worried about, like, sticking on makeups and stuff, and how will I be able to see? And with the visors, I found it can be quite tricky with reflecting masks and stuff. So you'd, I'd wear, like, a darker mask so that the paleness of the mask didn't reflect. But when you're mm-hmm. just wearing goggles and a mask, you'd, it's not really an issue. Um, and then the, um, you know, those kind of anti-fog wipes, because depending on where your mask is in relation to your goggles, if you can put the, 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 the glasses slightly further forward, then when you breathe out, it doesn't steam up into your into your goggles. Um 
Although I've started wearing more contacts now when I do makeups so that I don't have to wear a mask over my goggles or so. Do you know what I mean? Or, or, or when you exhale with yeah. a mask and it goes into your glasses, it's horrible. So from a makeup application point of view, um, it's quite impressive how it's all working and it hasn't really uh, held anything up. I'm sure it's much more expensive and there's a lot more planning that has to be involved. But once that flywheel is going... Um, production just seems to keep rolling along and it just, like I say, with that combined with the fact that they're building more sound stages and expanding existing studio mm -hmm. spaces, um, it's quite impressive to see that obviously uh, optimism is high for the continuing of that. So that's a, a, well, that's, a nice positive thing to say. Yeah, well, I, so. I think everybody is, uh, is going to be thrilled when all this shit goes away. Yeah. Uh, because I don't know anybody... That, that likes wearing masks and face no. shields and goggles and gloves and it's mm. well it's a weird one i mean with regards to in productions it's obviously a big deal because of the hierarchy of of how you're filming things is if you've got scenes revolving you know around a particular performer they can't get sick otherwise you know a lot of stuff oh absolutely i guess they must have contingencies in place and all that kind of stuff and you have like weather cover in case of weather problems similarly with your scenes yeah um, it goes in hand, hand in hand with their completion bonds yeah exactly so yeah. it's all got to be Cause, done because shit happens there was a message on a on a forum and it got me all excited talking about uh, breaking down makeups um and we did a blog post about it a while ago which i will put a link on here on the show notes of here uh which was uh floating pieces um mm -hmm. and there was a little downloadable workbook that went with it but just a little bit about breaking down pieces you know why you would bother break and what do we mean i guess we just start what i mean by that like you've got a big makeup so you've got like an old age makeup that you know goes from the top of the head all the way down to halfway down the chest and you sculpted it all, and you've made someone look really old and cool, and you're very happy with it. Uh, the question is, well, how do you get that onto the face? Is it going to be one big yeah. piece of rubber, or are you going to turn it into two pieces, or 50 pieces? Yeah, one, one piece is going to be a real, a real nightmare to try to apply in one piece, and virtually impossible to do with just two hands. Yes. Because uh, it, it's weighty, and it's going to be floppy, and just gonna create flop sweat because it's it's hard to do if it's if you're doing it in silicone it's gonna be heavy as all get out and if you're doing it in foam latex it's gonna shrink yeah which as i understand it is the original reason why i think dick smith was kind of the first person to come up with that process when you're breaking mm -hmm. down a lot so you sculpt it as one thing just so you know what the finished thing will look like so, and then now now you've got that thing and you've agreed on the look and you now have decided, okay, this is what it's going to look like. Now you have to figure out, you know, from a utility point of view, how are you going to separate this into practical pieces and, and in what order should they go on? What overlaps what? And should the chin right. be part of the neck or should the chin be part of the cheeks? Are the both cheeks on one piece with the forehead? And what, what and where do you, would you decide? Where do you create those separating lines? Because they can't just be arbitrary. No. And you've got to figure out, yeah, where you can put it. And there's quite an art to that. So so that's what we mean by breaking down pieces. Obviously, you've got a big makeup, and then you need to decide from a practical point of view how you're going to glue that on. Because like you say, if it's in silicone, it's very heavy. Because that was the thing with foam. It shrank. So it, it, it was light to hold. You could hold it from the forehead, and the whole thing would just kind of you know sit there. You take that same piece in silicone, it weighs, you know, 
one and a half kilos <laughs> and if you hold on to the forehead it's going to be dragging on the floor because it, it's that heavy so you, you, far from shrinking with silicone you actually have to kind of gather to make sure you don't inadvertently stretch it especially if it's really soft so mm. um, you may need to make them in smaller pieces uh, for that but the other thing I think that's nice with silicone or indeed with foam as well is that you can make pieces in different softnesses of silicone so if you've got ears on top of the head for example they could be quite firm because they don't need to be that soft whereas a neck piece could be really squishy so from the same sculpt you could you know allocate different pieces to be different softnesses um, so that's one of the reasons why you might want to do that too which is quite handy but it's quite tricky to do and I've still seen a couple of um, college sort of makeups where people have broken things down into what I would regard as unnecessarily fussy pieces where they'll have like 10 different molds for a makeup that could have been three pieces right um, and it's whether or not it's worth doing and why you might do it as well. Because yeah, like, another like thing separate that, eye bags um, when they could easily be part of a cheek prosthetic. There's that. Uh, or lips, for example. Or it might, be, it might be practical to make the lips as a separate piece because it might be that maybe the lips are going to get a trashing during the day. Mm -hmm. And then maybe later on you want to go in for a close-up. Or there's some close-up or more close-up scenes with dialogue and stuff. And maybe if, if only you could remove the lips and replace them with a fresh set of lips, you wouldn't have to take the whole of the makeup off. So yeah. something like that maybe. Or you might have reusable pieces, like the big back-of-the-head cowl pieces. Maybe, you know, the back of the head doesn't move that much. So if yeah. you made that a reusable piece, then you it would cost less to do the makeup ten times. You right, and you have to bit. take into consideration um, those high-traffic areas, like the corners of the mouth. Mm. When you're, and this, that goes into into how the how the sculpting is is done more than than how you break it down. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes down to sort of design of the sculpt, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, but normally when I've been doing breaking down pieces, like I say, the first thing you would do is sculpt it, and then I'm looking honestly to see what's the fewest amount of pieces I can put this into mm -hmm. <laughs> like as many as it needs but no more than that you know um, and, and, and minimize the amount of molding and casting because obviously the more pieces you break it down into the more work the more time and uh, the more cost is involved in doing that and yeah. yeah and also you want if you know you are breaking down certain makeups you don't want to go all the way to finished sculpture before you break it down because it just means you're going to have to sculpt some of that all over again yeah so you can get get quite a bit of it done but you don't want to get all of your detail taken care of in those areas where you're going to be breaking it down where your yeah. cut lines are yeah. because all of that's going to get trashed yeah and then you have to re-sculpt it anyway yeah i think what i'll do is in this i will put some um some pictures on the show notes of this episode to kind of describe this if this is not making a huge amount of sense um, but I'll also put that like I say the link up to the um, breaking down prosthetic sculpts PDF which was on the other blog post um, but yeah basically you might sculpt something like I say like a forehead old age makeup and then once that's sculpted and I, I tend to do this I will only once I finish sculpting that's when I'll sit and think right how am I going to break this down I don't feel like you should let your practical sense of how you're going to separate it and break it down later in at the sculpting stage because I don't feel like you want to interfere with that 
creativity. I think you should just sculpt what you're going to sculpt. And then once mm -hmm. you've finished it, now you have to figure out how you're going to mold it and break it down. But I think you should just go for it in the first instance because otherwise you'll end up sort of trimming your sails a bit and sculpting things a little less ambitiously, um, which I don't think is the right thing to do. I think you should sculpt it. Um, because in big shops, often, you you know, the person sculpting isn't the one molding it. So they don't care how hard this is going to be to mold because it's not going to be their problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from a molding-making point of view, that's why it's good training ground to have been you know made a lot of molds for other people because no one's considered how easy it's going to be for me from the molding point of view so that when i sculpt things now i just tend to you know you just sculpt whatever you're going to sculpt and then what that was from there but one thing that i think is pretty much universal i don't know if you've seen it done any other way is to sculpt it first on a thin plaster so you'd make a thin plaster core um and then paint it usually with paint now that happens i think because of that stan winston trick wasn't it that the stan winston school for character arts did a video of that where they showed how they painted the bust the plaster bust the same color as the plastiline so that there wasn't mm -hmm. a difference between the two that's kind of the first time i'd ever seen that done yeah it, then, it's i think that's more for the benefit of of production and the client uh yeah. so that they can see get a, a better sense of what the the finished complete look is going to be where if, if if you can see the white of the of the stone through the you know the the brown or the gray of of whatever clay you're using mm -hmm. it just there's kind of a disconnect between the full look and seeing all of these pieces on yeah on a on a different colored core um, and it makes sense you know it doesn't the, the fact that you've painted it doesn't really affect the the water going f through the stone and and reactivating the separating agent which you have to put on the core before you start sculpting otherwise <laughs> you're, you're kind of having an exercise in futility because you've got this beautiful sculpture that you have to break down into six six or seven pieces and you soak it in the water and why no, isn't it coming <laughs> why isn't coming off <laughs> Yeah, you're going to put that down first. So over here we have, I think the main one that people use is Scopas parting agent from Tarantes, and Neil does one. It's basically like a dental separator yeah. that uh, dental laboratories use. What about you? Alcoat, I guess, is the main go-to. Uh, Alcoat is good, yeah. Um, they call it a, a liquid foil, um, which started out as a dental separator uh, yeah. in the, the dental industry, obviously. Um, but you, know, you can use different things also. Um, I use what I call sopahol, where I'll take some, some palm olive dish soap and do a create an alcohol solution with 99% IPA mm -hmm. and brush a thin film of that onto, onto the core and the alcohol evaporates and the soap essentially dries, dries out. And when it gets wet again, it gets slippery and slimy and will, will release the clay just as well as a dental separator does. Okay. And there was, who I can't remember who it was that suggested Elmer's glue, the clear Elmer's glue. I can see that how that would work too, because that is a water-based uh, glue uh -huh. that's kind of a gelatin-based glue that will dissolve in water. So essentially it's a, a, a water-based product that you brush on. Whichever you're using, it's essentially, you know, you, you paint it on with a brush, it evaporates. Mm -hmm. And the reason you do it on a plaster core is because plaster is hygroscopic, so it'll let moisture through. It's absorbent, you know, it's porous. Yeah. Even though it's been, even if it's painted, it's still porous, and the water will get in, 
from the back which is why you make the plaster thin so it doesn't have to go through a lot of plaster to get to the behind the sculpt and then yeah. which makes sculpting sort of sometimes a, a little bit you have to be a little careful so you're not pushing your clay around too hard because you don't sure. want to push your thumb through the through the plaster which would be kind of kind of a drag you know i bet you it just occurred to me you could probably even use pva uh release film um mm. you know the, the liquid that the, the you got to be careful that you don't use the pva adhesive because there's pva adhesive and pva release <clears throat> and i use the pva release when i'm doing epoxy molds because mm. it prevents the epoxy from sticking to the other epoxy in the mold <clears throat> excuse me um, but when it dries you know it's, it's water soluble and when it dries it's a really really thin film just like using alcote um, right. so you could probably use the PVA uh, as a separator as well okay yeah I can see that working I haven't done it myself but I'd like to try it's, it's kind of scary trying these things I guess I should just do like a bunch of different tests That'd be a good yeah don't well. don't try it on a job <laughs> No, try it on something that's not a sculpt that's got a deadline. That would be bad. Um, if you think you can fly, <laughs> try taking off from the ground first. That will be... So, yeah, you normally start with a plaster core. You may paint it with a colour so it blends in with the plastiline. And then once that's dried, then you apply your release agent, either the Alco or the Alka soap or whatever it was you were using. Mm -hmm. And then you let that completely dry. So you, it might take you a couple of days to prepare a core and let it dry out. And then, then you would sculpt on top of that. If you haven't done that release agent, like you say, putting it in water, because I've seen people do that. Like, well, I put it in water a week and it hasn't come off. It's like, did you put any release on first? And like, no. <laughs> it's like, well, that's that's why Bingo. you soak it, is to reactivate the release. It's not uh, <clears throat> not magic. So, um, yeah, so you need to put your release on and then you let that dry. And then you sculpt on top of that. And what I have seen people do is to melt either the monster clay or the chavant or whatever they're using to sculpt, you know, in a, in a crock pot, you know, plug that in and it melts it and then you paint mm -hmm. it in layer on so you've got something all over that's kind of stuck and then you can start building up your clay on top of that or you might roll out sheets i don't know how you, how you like mm -hmm. to do this, but um and then you sculpt on top of that yeah because sometimes it is difficult if you're just trying to push little firm bits of clay on and trying to get it to stick mm -hmm. um one of two things is likely to happen the clay is not going to stick or you're going to peel up the release while you're trying to push the clay down yeah, both of these will make you sad. Um, so don't. I've seen people spray uh, a little 3M over the top um, adhesive spray, mm. as as Michael Mosher mentioned about yeah. um, for for steam lakes on on foam. But also, um, I have used a very very thin coat of Vaseline sometimes, or, or yeah, you can even spray it with the release. That will work because then I haven't tried that. I haven't tried Vaseline on top of a release, uh, but I definitely do that sometimes just on onto the stone core before mm -hmm. I put clay down because it does Have definitely finish that. Yeah. Yeah. If you got to be careful not to put too much on you, get, it's got to be really fine. Yeah. That's one of the things I see beginners when they are putting release on uh, or putting petroleum jelly on to help the clay stick. They're just putting it on way too heavy and just kind of slides around it's not sticking um, yeah yeah you want to basically get a i use like a one inch chip brush or something put the vaseline in that and then wipe almost all of it off into a you know paper mm -hmm. towel so the, the the brush is almost dry and then you have to wipe the brush like five or six times before you start seeing a sheen on the surface of the core and yeah. you know that that's how much you need it's like tiny yeah tiny you can even dissolve some of the petroleum jelly and some some naphtha 
or mm-hmm. uh, you know lighter fluid um, yeah. or you know the odorless mineral spirit so that you're getting you know a, a liquidy petroleum jelly so it's easier to get that thin wash of it over the over the stone before you wipe it off mm-hmm. and that's to help like we say that's to help the plastiline stick to the to the core uh, but the that being a solvent based um, release it shouldn't interfere with the water based um, release that's already dried so this can sit on top of it and it shouldn't interfere with the water soaking through later um, so if you've got a full head that you're doing it's a good idea as well to drill a hole through the top of the head so that when you put the head and shoulders in a big bath of water to soak it later the air can get out otherwise you know, mm. the head has a habit of tipping and you know you might damage your sculpt or something but you better get it out more easily that way um, so yeah so yeah you got to be so careful of, of get trapping air in, in, in under the either the the face or the full head core because mm-hmm. it'll just take forever for the water to soak up into the part of the stone that is kept dry by that air pocket yeah and then once you've got your sculpt finished and it's all approved and you're happy then now your job is to decide how you're going to break this up um, and often there does seem to be um, and I remember looking through I think it was a gore zone. I'm going to have to dig out and find out which gore zone it was. But it was a gore zone of the Henrietta makeup. I think it was Mark Shostrom hmm. had sculpted the body. I know it was a KMB thing, though, so I don't know if he was working there. I'll have to read my article again and have a look. But I think maybe he had done... Or maybe I mean Kalis, But I remember seeing the picture of uh, Ted Ramey, his brother in a spandex bodysuit in the position for life casting and then they sculpted it and I distinctly remember seeing a picture of the makeup having been sliced and had soaked but they hadn't taken the pieces off but you could see the cheek was starting to peel away around the nose and I remember being I mean we talk about this a fair bit where you look at these you know old Gorzones and Fangorias Gorzone yeah. I think had the better articles but you'd look and you'd see these little things and you were trying to piece together what you were looking at and there wasn't the internet to check in with and you'd be like what is going on how is that and then does the nose overlap the che- the nose does the nose I mean, overlap the cheek or the cheek overlap the nose you know yeah there is some logic uh, I mean if, if you if you think about it there there's some logic in how you would separate pieces from a, for a face but you might want to alter that somewhat uh, depending on how you want that makeup to move when the actor moves um, mm-hmm. and and how the pieces will go go on which piece goes on first which piece overlaps what uh, depending on because uh, usually you can separate the nose fairly easy you know there are obvious logical lines of how you would separate the nose from from the forehead at the you know a cut line at the bridge of the nose and down the nasolabial uh, line and for, you know, for making the upper lip and just basically around the perimeter of the nose uh, mm-hmm. across the, the temples from the corner of the eye uh, to separate a forehead from, from the cheeks and places for the chin and so on. But depending mm-hmm. on what things are going to happen, you might want to separate it somewhat differently if the, the upper lip piece extends further down because you want the how the how the up it might have to do this with pictures to show it, but um, you know you may need to alter the shape of, of how you're separating it because you want when the mouth opens you want the the upper lip to extend further down on the, the cheek lower chin yeah mm. under the lower chin so that it, so that it will, that pulls down because that will affect what happens to the eyes as yep. well as as well as the nose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are, those are considerations, and that's more uh, from a performance standpoint that you'd probably need director input of yeah. how, how he or she envisions that character looking with certain facial expressions. Yeah, if and that, also how, yeah, it does. I mean, I think it's very interesting that you mention the performance and the movement because those are not insignificant factors into how makeup design should be. I think it's quite a good idea when you do the life cast. We always used to get photos of them pulling expressions and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone is of any age, there's normally enough lines on the face for you to figure out where the skin's in compress. But it's quite good also to have video footage of them pulling, or maybe even going through the performance a bit so that you can get an idea of the kind of things that they do because there may be certain affectations that they do or the character needs to do like maybe licking their lips or they may be gnaw on their bottom lip with their tongue or they might rub their eyes a lot or some, something that you kind of go oh now I know you're doing that maybe I'll not put pieces there or I'll make sure that they're mm-hmm. really well glued or maybe we need to do something with your fingers because if you've got gloved hands when you do that thing it's going to really damage the makeup so maybe you need to wear a silk pair of gloves underneath or something do you know what i mean things yeah. that you would like to know beforehand <laughs> that will make a difference to how you you prepare your pieces and what what is practical and what what is impossible to, to well it goes in tandem with with something that i tell my students frequently is that you know you may have come up with the most brilliant idea and sculpted the most amazing character makeup but when you glue it on your actor, you know, if you haven't had a chance to do tests and, and so forth, you know, if, if it inhibits performance in any way, even if it's psychological, mm. then then it's wrong. Yeah, especially opera singers. They get very fussy about things. <laughs> yeah. You know, something on top of their head affecting the octave of their voice. Or, yeah, and that like also, say, that's, that's a good point too, you know, for if somebody's going to be singing in character makeup, you know, this is something that I've had to deal with uh, a fair amount in in musical theater for some of the character makeups I've had to do for Beauty and the Beast and Shrek and and uh, Young Frankenstein, for example, that, you know, when you're singing, the mouth is going to be opening much broader than if you're just speaking in, in a conversational tone. And, you know, when it when you glue it on and they're just talking and they're not doing the big emotions everything might be fine but as soon as they open their mouth broadly with mm. that makeup glued down bang it pops it's it's gonna it's gonna pop open at the corner of the mouth mm. every time it'll certainly stress those glues and you unless it's lifting yeah unless it's unless it's been designed to take that into account mm. so that it doesn't glue down that closely to the corner of the mouth or bypasses it completely yeah and also the softness matters as well because I think a lot of people blame the glue for things where it's like, well, the piece is too stiff. That's why the thing popped up. You know, you've got, you've got to make the piece, I think, at least as soft as the skin that it sat on because mm-hmm. otherwise, if it can't keep up with the skin, then, you know, at, at worst it will inhibit... The, uh, sorry, at best it will inhibit the performance. At worst it will actually damage the piece during use and your, like, your edges may come up or... Yeah, and, and if you know, on film you can you they you can you can cut camera and come in and do touch ups and, and fix it, but mm-hmm. for an actor who's who's on stage during a performance oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the makeup that. starts starts coming apart on stage mm. well that's just not good. 
Yeah, especially seeing this now in the last. Yeah. It's it, they're on they're on stage with a, a cheek piece that's flopping around, and there's nothing you can do about it until they're off stage, and they may only be off stage for seconds before they have to be back on stage again, and yeah. the audience is sitting out in the, out there. What all they can see now is this floppy piece of prosthetic that's not staying in staying in place and they're not listening to the to the dialogue or the songs or That's paying any attention to anything words. any oh yeah and you know shit happens it, it does happen you know it's, suddenly it's be, it, the scene becomes about keeping a a mustache on or or a nose on and not about the scene at all yeah no we don't want that and it's horrifying yes i can <laughs> Not not just for the actor, but but for the makeup artist who is going to catch hell when that that actor comes off stage. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. And it won't be production that are tearing you a new one. It's the actual actor. That's the thing. Um, (laughs) And then production. So yeah, so 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 you got your piece. So say you've got your sculpt then, and you finished your 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 head's covered in rubber, and now your job is to decide. Okay, now I need to cut this up. So how would you decide where to cut? I mean. I think the rule of thumb typically is, like you say, I think you would normally cut the sculpt. There must be like a, we need like um, what's the, not a process, we need like a protocol for what would Mm -hmm. be done. I I think typically you you try and go for places where you would naturally have creases and or shadows or like under a chin, you know, or around the jawline, places where you could hide as best as possible your seams. I mean, the... The intention is to make the seams good seams, so you don't see them, but it still makes sense, therefore, to place them in places where they're not obvious. Like, you wouldn't cut right through the middle of a forehead or through the middle of a cheek if you don't need to, because it's more sensible that the seam line would be behind where the wig will be, or where Mm -hmm. a beard line will be, or the corner of the nasolabial fold, or under a chin, you know. Um, Yeah, and any wrinkles that might happen to be um, crossing a cut line... Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that in the re-sculpt that they will line up when you glue on those finished pieces. Because if you've got a, a nice crease, wrinkle line coming down a cheek that extends into, curves down into the, into the chin or, or down onto the, onto the neck, mm-hmm. those, those lines have got to line up. Yep. Well, we'll get especially, we'll especially, if they're, especially if they're going to be visible. Yeah, and also your textures need to, to line up and all that kind of stuff too. Um, and if you've so so you've got your sculpt, uh, I think as well. Typically, you try and cut where the piece is thinnest as well. I think, which often mm-hmm. is where those wrinkles and creases are, but not always. Um, it depends how much modification you've made to the face. Um, you know, you don't want anything unnecessarily thick. Typically, with pieces at all. I remember having a we had a good chat, Floris Schuler and I about. You know, he 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 had a very good point about the thicknesses of pieces and how they're very. It's very. We should have him on the show, talk more at length about this kind of stuff. But you know how how it's very easy to inadvertently create pieces that are far too thick, and you don't need a lot of thickness for it to be too thick. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a millimeter or two, and it, it, it suddenly looks way more because when it's on the face, it kind of hangs and sags and looks like more rubber than you put on. And I've done that myself many times. So it's an interesting thing to avoid that. So you typically want to keep things thin as possible. But yeah, I think cutting where the piece is thinnest, so you're not slicing through the thickest part, is quite good. There's no hard and fast rules. It's it's basically what what works for the makeup, and every makeup's going to be slightly different. Um, 
I'm, 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 I don't like to be prescriptive about these things because it stops people thinking. If you just say, oh, it's going to be the cheeks and the forehead, they're separate. Because I've done makeups where I've done the nose and the forehead and the top lip as one piece and it worked fine. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you've got to, got to go against convention where if you, you're separating um, the cheeks, as che- each cheek is a separate piece and the chin is a separate piece. You know, it's not always going to have to be separated that way because sometimes if if you're creating, you know, a bigger jaw where you you, you need a larger and it has to be thicker, you're going to need to keep the cheeks, chin, and possibly the neck mm-hmm. as one piece because they can't really be separated and re-sculpted without making a mess of it. Yeah, so you may end up with a big piece, which might be a big mold and maybe a collapsible core and all that kind of stuff. Or or it might be that your makeup, you could maybe, depending on what, what it is, see if it's, if it's close up to camera, all of these things are going to make a difference as to how many pieces you break it down into. Um, I think with colleges and stuff, a lot of people want to do it as an exercise, which is noble and mm-hmm. good, and I think it's good to do. But I think it's worth splitting a makeup into two pieces or three pieces. Don't, for your first makeup, split something up into eight pieces for shits and giggles because I think you'll just tie yourself in knots without really getting a full grip on it. Um, but I've done makeups where the cheeks were floated off. They were sculpted on the life cast, but actually the cheeks could be floated off and made as flat moulds, which suddenly made the mould making for those two cheek pieces much quicker, much cheaper. And also we could churn out duplicate moulds very easily. And... Do you know what I mean? The cheek pieces mm-hmm. being renew, re, renewable pieces. And then the only molds that we needed to make were like the the forehead and nose and the chin. And because they've got the curves of them, they could be on cores with molds. So they were more expensive molds. The back of the head was reusable. So we only made one of those. Mm-hmm. And the cheek pieces, the top lip could be um, flat molded and reused. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, and sometimes, the, sometimes the forehead can even be a flat mold. Yes, yes, you'd be surprised what you can get away with with flat molds. Now, whether or not you want to use a flat mold is largely down to your budget and whether or not the person's going to be, are they on the poster? Are they in close-up? Or is it a case mm-hmm. of maybe there's like, you've got like a bunch of vampires and maybe the three that are closest to camera, those are the ones that cost the most money, but the people in the background, maybe they could be flat molds or they could be, you know, you could reuse old exactly. pieces or something or... You know, maybe the seconds where the edges aren't so good, they could be used for the background people because you're not going to see them as detailed. But um, have you noticed that when, when, you, when you do that, when you have your background makeups and your hero makeups, you know, the ones that are going to be seen? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, the, that's when I say, oh, no, we'll never see them. They're always going to be in the background. That's when you, you're using the flat molds and you get, it's like, oh, you know, I want, I want these guys up front. Always yeah. happens that those background makeups one. always wind up being hero makeups and fudge <laughs> I, we had uh, I got a story about that there was a guy on I did some stuff there was a whole bunch of us working on Blade 2 uh, and they had a lot of English crew come over to Prague where they were filming these, these, the Reapers so you had all you had your main Reapers and then you had your background I think it were like three or four different types and beautiful paint jobs I think Tom Colleen I think had designed the paint job, paint scheme I think I'm right in saying that. I think so. Well, anyway. we'll find oh, out. 
you'll find out let me know but it was it was lovely and he was the one that showed me how to paint veins and I've, it's, it's a lesson that stayed with me forever since it's been brilliant but so you had the basically the same look but it, to different degrees so the people that were closest to camera they had pre-made custom-made foam pieces that were pre-painted then there were sort of backgroundy guys that had like a chin piece and ears and they were supposed to have shaved their head so they didn't need a ball cap and then I think you had further back from that you had just paint jobs I think um, and so the guy I was doing was like a mid-range guy so he had pieces on but they weren't pre-painted and he had to paint his whole head uh, you know once he was applied anyway this guy this Czech guy he was a, a, like a dancer and I think he did a screamer like you know some obscure Thai martial art thing and he was really cool looking and he had all the moves and I think they they deliberately chose people that looked like they could move do you know what I mean they were kind of slim mm -hmm. and they had cheekbones naturally and they were prepared to shave their heads and you know they could kind of move kind of um oh what's the word kind of like spider-like you know they're, they're kind of skittish yeah. in how they move so you need people that are familiar with how their body works like this the vampires coming out of the wall in Fright Night Fright Night? what the original one? no no the the one with um Colin Farrell all right, I haven't seen that one. It's good. <laughs> um, I heard they're remaking the Lost Boys, by the way. I'm not sure how I feel about what? that. Yeah, I'm, uh, me neither. I don't know. Anyway, um, so um, uh, where was it? Yeah, so this guy. So he didn't speak any English, and I spoke no Czech. And basically, he was intimating to me with, with, with increasingly aggressive hand gestures that he didn't like his makeup and he wanted to look a certain way. And he basically wanted darker circles around his eyes. And I was trying to explain to him that we have to do the makeup a certain way because you're all the same creature. You have the same look. So I can't deviate from that just because. And I think basically he wanted to just have a signature look so he could spot himself in the crowd, uh. which which can happen a lot. And then he got told off, you know, and, and at one point he snatched the airbrush out of my hand and started doing his own eye makeup, which was quite funny. And then he, we had to clean that <laughs> off and he got told off for doing that. And, you know, he has to kind of toe the line, otherwise he's out. And then I saw him later on doing like weird jerky moves that were not what everyone else was doing again in order to <laughs> to identify himself in a crowd. And if you've got like 50 people in a crowd all doing something unique so that they can spot themselves later, you know, and it's <laughs> it, it can kind of mess up the shot, uh, especially if they don't spot it until after, you know, you're looking at the rushes the next day and it's like, mm, that's going to be expensive to fix. So, um, so that'd be quite funny. But, um, but yeah, so, so, you know, you have different different types of makeup different kinds of things so it all depends on what you want but in the worst case scenario every piece is going to be on its custom mold and core so it's a big job uh, and then obviously you've got to work out in which order your pieces are going to go on and like you say I think there's a sequence of a logical sequence to how pieces would overlap like it makes sense to me for you know a if you were doing a separate neck and cheeks that the cheeks would overlap the neck not the other way around so right. the edges the edges that are hiding the neck are over the top of the neck and if there was a shadow caused by an edge it would be down here on the neck not high up halfway across the cheek for example right um, or you might like you were saying with the lips you might overlap pieces so if you're going to do lip appliances for you to get a good edge on the bottom lip may mean that in the mold and the core you want to get rid of the top lip on the core so you can get access to the inside of the bottom lip and vice versa if you want you know a good edge on the top lip you might need to get rid of the bottom lip so right i will put pictures of these things in the notes that's uh, also so because of, because that's also when i'm doing life casts uh if i know that they're going to have upper and lower lip pieces 
I will tend to cast the the actor with the lips slightly parted so you have more more surface area of the lip on the core to begin with yes that can be good with silicon particularly I found that sometimes the weight can pull the bottom lip down and you end up with the distortion so mm -hmm. sometimes you have to kind of put that on and then hold the lip not up but just stop it from sagging because it will right. pull down with the weight of the stuff that's not normally on it and you end up but if that happens you can always do a separate lip cast you right. know afterwards where you hold it in place when the life cast is off and just recast the lips i think that's quite a good thing to do if you're doing a nose for example say you've got a nose you should get a good life cast with the nose but maybe something happens at the life cast you get caught out the stuff sets or they panic or something so you don't end up getting a perfect nose you could always do a separate nose after you've done the head. So oh yeah, if you've got if you've got an actor who's if you've got an actor who's somewhat claustrophobic uh, or or has a cold, you know, can't breathe out of either nostril because they're they have forced into mouth breathing, mm -hmm. then you can do a separate nose and separate lips, uh, yeah. and not worry about that. You do it, do the face, and just you'll have to fill in that that blank, but. Mm -hmm. There are ways around every problem. Yeah. And then um, you would cut, when you do your cut as well, often it's with a scalpel. We use a scalpel. And you'll cut at an angle, you know, so you won't cut a straight line across. You'd follow the curves or the shapes that suit, you know, where it is. And you might, you know, hold the scalpel at an angle. So you cut it so that, you know, you cut it at an ang angle that's sympathetic so that the, the cheek piece would go on first and then the, the forehead piece might overlap it um which you know so you've got to kind of walk backwards and think through the makeup and then it's it, it's quite a a, a, a sure. it's it's no small yeah, thing to do this <laughs> and, and it's and it's not considered cheating if you make notes no <laughs> and take takes that but this is why i think when you, when you look at the um the uh, the the pdf you'll see exactly what I mean on there because there's a lot of the stuff you need you need the pictures to see this done. I have done some videos as well where I've done this over three or four videos. They're a few years old now, but the, the information is still good um, from um, from a UMAE makeup I did a while back on Emma, so uh, I'll pop the links to that too. Um, but I see a lot of collapsible cores happening. I think I see more collapsible cores happening in the States than I do over here. Yeah. And they are beautiful. If you look at some of, uh, you know, Rob Fraser's stuff or Carl Lyon's stuff, you know, um, they're both on Instagram and they're fantastic molds that they make. Uh, and the idea of a collapsible core is obviously that you essentially reduce or completely remove how many seams an appliance might have by putting all those on the inside. But that requires some thought and care into you know avoiding that um mm -hmm. but i more brain power than i have on a on a on a regular basis well it depends i guess on what the, what the job is but i i really like um flaring out cores to sort of minimize or avoid doing that i think often because of time constraints because i can flare out a core very quickly and you don't have to think quite as hard about it do you know what i mean so maybe it's just yeah. a, i don't get the big budget jobs as much um, but I think a lot of the times if you spend a week making a core that's collapsible to avoid a scene that could be fixed in an hour, is that a net gain or is it more trouble than it's worth? It depends on the job again, because yeah. obviously if some of the seam is going to be covered with hair or you could make a separate appliance to cover that or the seam is actually so good on the mold that actually, OK, it needs seaming, but it's not a whole lot of work, really. Um, it depends. 
Uh, if the time and the money are there, why not go for it? Yeah. But, so, uh, you know, if, if it comes down to you, good, good, fast, cheap, pick two. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not going to get all three, although you always get squeezed for it. Um, but I do like to see a, a collapsible core. And having worked with pieces with collapsible cores, you know, the, the piece that comes out is beautiful and there's no seams mm-hmm. on the outside, you know, especially if it's in two or three pieces. Um, that's quite amazing. But, uh, yeah, I'm just curious about that. I just thought I'd flag that up as this obsession, you know, some people have. Yeah, no, th- they're, cores they're pretty... They, you know, you could avoid it, the seam, or deal with the seam separately. They're pretty pretty amazing. You know, Rob calls them puzzle molds, which some of them really are. Yeah. Because uh, they, have, they have to go together and come apart in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only used them for doing gloves. Yes. Doing, you know, character, character gloves and... For that, you really need a collapsible core. Otherwise, you're you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, what I, I think, it's what what is definitely the wrong thing to do is always try and pick the path of least resistance and try and do things easily, because we've all worked for people like that where they'll always try and cut every single corner, and you end up with like the 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 minimal viable product, which is not good for the soul, and more often than not doesn't necessarily look that great either but i'm just saying the you fast and cheap also, method yeah but you also don't want to extend yourself too far for the sake of something because if you think about it and you could go oh do you know what this is going to be under a wig we're not going to see the seam anyway so it kind of may or may not matter um but it does depend on the job and i think it's a good thing to to look at but if, if you haven't separated your molds into separate pieces before i don't think you want to start with you know a collapsible core anyway because that's quite an extensive specialized thing but it's worth looking Mm -hmm. into these things and there isn't a huge amount of information on them either which is kind of partly i think because not because it's secretive but just because it's so involved the sorts of people that are doing those cores are not beginners so they probably pride themselves on figuring stuff out anyway. One of the things I really like about Rob mm-hmm. Reiters' stuff, he'll post really good pictures, but he won't necessarily explain everything because he <laughs> wants you to reach for it and figure it out. Because honestly, you know, if you're going to do this for a living, it's not a bad thing to have to figure stuff out. So if you if you want everything spoon-fed to you, that's, you know... A, it's a lot of work for him to have to break down and answer every single question. And secondly, you don't want to reduce it. So it's, it's that treading that fine line. But I'm, I'm digressing yeah, from... Yeah, yeah. Collapsible cores are not. I would not call that uh, a beginner's exercise. No, but you could certainly do something like you say with fingers on on hand molds and stuff. Sure. Um, where that might be useful. But um, but yeah. So but often with with breaking down a you know an old age piece, I will often I think like you say I like the idea of keeping the cheeks and the chin as one piece, so that you know if there's any continuous lines going across or weight. They can be one piece. Um, you may or may not need a top lip or a chin. It depends. Uh, the top lip could be a separate piece or the top lip could be part of the nose. Uh, depending how thick it is, it might be the nose and the forehead are all one piece. Um, it, like, there's so many variables. It all depends on the, on yeah, the makeup. Yeah, it depends on the design of the makeup. But uh, I think one of the common That's kind of going to dictate it. Yes. I think one of the common ones though with the full head makeup is like the reusable cowl piece. So, you know, if you, someone's head is covered in rubber, the face area where we're going to focus most of the attention, they, those face, facial pieces could be, re, you know, renewed every day. But the back part of it, where the ears are maybe included in it and the top of the head and the back of the neck, that could possibly be a reusable cowl. 
um, which might not have great edges, but they are overlapped by the facial pieces. Mm-hmm. So the big cow piece, which you know might weigh two kilos, that's reusable. Um, and then the facial pieces that overlap that, that are softer, and you know they're going to be around the things that are going to do the acting and the dialogue. Um, and the eyes that are very important, they could be separate pieces. So, you know, it might be that that's how you do it. So there's lots of different ways of doing it. But it, it's a tricky one. You kind of need to see several different makeups from start to finish compared side by side in order to get that full picture of all of those things. Because if you look at something like, I don't know, Darkness from Legend, you right. know, that's a that, that's a whole big thing with the big horns and you've got the skull cap, presumably, with the mounts for the for the horns on it. Um, and you might not see too many pictures of that being made, but there are plenty of pictures of like the Hellboy makeup being made and that kind of stuff. You know, he had that scene where he had the big horns coming out and, and stuff. So, you know, there's there's there are pictures out there, and I think we'll probably need to do some tutorials and video tutorials on those, seeing as we've amassed quite the uh, equipment stash for the <laughs> for the for, for the yes yeah, for the thing. It's, and it's, just, it's time to use it. It is, and I would do more. It's just this year has not stopped. <laughs> I've been on about which is great, uh, considering year. considering you're coming coming in after a a year of doing almost nothing. Yeah, it was a bit bit chunky that year. I mean, there was a fair bit of stuff with college and stuff and Zoom things because obviously a lot of tutors and colleges were kind of messed up with the schedules and everything, and that was all good. But yeah, it was a it was a pretty you know dreadful year but uh yeah in the last year or so it's been crazy hence the very very um slow release of these podcasts because it's just been um mad working sort of 12 14 hour days in the workshop and not getting anywhere near a microphone um, yeah, well it's it's, th- it's great I'm, I'm i'm thrilled that you're that busy yeah it's good to be busy but it's also the kind of thing where you want to be able to split that up over a couple of years you know so you don't end up working you know, hundred hour weeks or whatever, but, um, but, uh, where are we? So yeah. So, so with regards to breaking your pieces down, like I say, have a look at the pictures on that thing. And if you have questions about that, um, by all means get in touch with us. Uh, we do love to answer some questions. There've been a lot of questions today. I was on the, the 911 forum, um, on, on Facebook. That's about the only thing I miss about not being on Facebook anymore. Well, you spend a fair bit of time answering questions, and uh, as an admin, I'm kind of you know turfing things out that are not supposed to be there. But um, but uh, I do like answering the questions and things. And also, what what's exciting is when someone asks a question and then you answer it, and then you suddenly realise you want to talk about it. And that often that's when I I really miss getting to the microphone. So at lunch, I might suddenly answer a, you know a message or something, and or see a very interesting question. I thought, oh, this will make a great podcast, like this one about breaking down pieces. I think. You know, it's 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 a good discussion to have, and I know you can see some pictures of it and stuff. But it, it's to me, it's when I'm making something and there's a team, and we're all doing different makeups, and we're pointing. You know, then there's a lot of like chin rubbing and, and head tilting to the angle, and everyone's nervous about making the cuts <laughs> and where to put them. And there's a real agony in in making the right decisions, or rather, trying to avoid the wrong decisions. You know, um, and you don't know until you've done it <laughs> whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. Um, and obviously you can cut it and then sort of you know smoosh it back and cut somewhere else but you don't want to damage it unnecessarily but there does come a point where you separate with a exacto knife or you know a scalpel and cut where you want the pieces to separate and then yeah, you stick the whole head in water and leave it i think it's i think it's a we need to i i, I can't remember if we've mentioned it or not 
in this one, but when you're re-sculpting the pieces on their individual snap molds, which are, you know, sections of the face that are mold um, casts taken from the, from the original core and recast slightly larger so that you can re-sculpt and extend the piece a little bit further than it had been originally. Mm -hmm. So you've got a little bit of overlap on each piece. Because for foam latex, you need to account for the shrinkage, which is why the process was developed in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but even for silicone, you want to have a little bit of an overlap, not just butting up the edge to edge, oh, because yeah, be because helpful. you can't you can't hide that seam. No, you so want you've to got, be like a lap join in wood. It's yeah, there's got to be an, a, a slight overlap to to make that blending edge invisible. Mm -hmm. Which is why you but, would cut at that angle in the first place to kind of assist that and then when the piece is down then you like you say you you blend out you don't necessarily add any material you just feather off the volume that's there up mm -hmm. on both pieces and then they will overlap to roughly and the volume and the volume of the two pieces will even out make up will even out to that yeah. the original volume yeah now that's as i recall i think that's how the first time i'd ever seen that done was in the lee bagan book three-dimensional makeup because I think they made still one of the there. best books out there. Yeah, but what I don't think they covered in that was how I would do snaps now for for, say you've got a very specific texture that you need to match up. What you might do is, you might for example, figure out that the chin, is going to be the last piece to go on. So you might cut the chin, and then what you would then do is then f once the chin is separated, you've now got an absence of a chin with a hard line where you've cut around the you know, around the chin piece. So you've got the two cheeks that now have a slice. Even if you cut it at an angle, it's still a, a, a you know, a flat cut. So then mm. what you might do is, is blend out that edge and round everything off and finish off the texture roughly with the chin of the core exposed. And then you would do what you say there. You make what's known as a snap, usually silicone or alginate of that section, including the sculpt that you finished off. So you go a couple of inches beyond the chin. So you'd incorporate maybe the bottom, you know, the bottom of the nose, maybe some of the neck and halfway up the cheek either side so that you can then make a separate core of that chin with the sculpt in place and then you may have to remold that and then you finish off your your chin now on a core that has those radius and finished off cheeks yep. on it and that's another job so that's what i'm saying if you're doing that <laughs> for the forehead and the cheek it, you, you could suddenly find out it you know what took you might sculpt it in a couple of days and now it's going to take you maybe three days for each of these pieces so that's why it's a consideration it, and if you're doing it all yourself have you got the time to do this um mm -hmm. and are you going to be efficient at it i mean i've done pieces quickly but i've got everything i need there and i know how to do it if you're trying to understand and learn how to do this and then suddenly go, oh, shoot, I don't have any silicon and it's going to take me a week to get some. Suddenly now it starts stacking up. And this is why, you know, yeah, again, this is not something not something you want to do first time out. Start yeah, having the, yeah, have have those things. And this is a, a good thing to, to remember from a, from a professional working point of view that you might get this job in and then suddenly, you know, you've got a week to do it and you go, well, I can do that in a week. But you, in order to do it, you're going to need to have a sum of everything there to hand, um, which I do. I mean, at the moment, I'm working for somebody else, but I've had jobs where 
this has come in and it's like like that makeup that we did uh, you know for, that's going to be in the magazine you know that mm-hmm. we had like 10 days to turn that around um and you know every material i needed i already had in stock so that's part of why you know when i quote on things that's that's part of goes towards why i charge what i will charge because i already have these materials sat there idle waiting for me to use them not a lot of everything but you have enough to get going and then that way if i need to do a life cast tomorrow and that has happened where a friend will be like shit we need a life cast tomorrow can you show up at a certain time and i'm like yeah i've got everything i need to do a couple of heads right now and that sat there on the shelf you know going off basically so in order for me to have a fully stocked workshop costs me money and that's why you know that's going to be in your daily rate because i have to be fully stocked all the time to some degree so i'm ready to go just like if you call an ambulance you don't want someone to have to go and buy bandages in order to show no fuck it they should have that stuff ready to go and it's exactly the same so um so there is a there is a cost to you as the supplier to have these things on hand um but that balances out this is the the triangle we're saying you know the 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 speed thing part of the part of your value is that you're good to go that you have this stuff already Um, so so don't forget to factor that into your when your quotes when you're bidding a job yeah i mean i think we're quite lucky here because we have everything quite close to hand i mean i have places i could drive to if i needed to um um which is good but you know it's all time so you've got to factor those things in so that's why i say you know think about how many pieces you really need to break down into because if you're if you do too many it's it's going to drive you insane <laughs> but at the same time if you don't do enough it might be that you just can't physically put the pieces on because you can't get the brush into where you need to get the glue because the you're holding onto a kilo and a half of of, of jed jellyfish that's flopping around your hands you can't keep its shape so um it's a real balance between all of those things um especially if you don't you know you've got to make that piece soft enough and if it's not soft enough It'll be too stiff, so it's easy to hold, but at the same time, it doesn't move as well. So um, they're all—it's a sliding scale of overlapping um, uh, variables, <laughs> and it can take a while to get your head around. So, uh, so be mindful of that, and, and and try and do something small. I think it's worth sculpting something like uh, a small makeup that maybe involves—I don't know—cheeks uh, and a chin as one piece and then break that down into two separate flat molded cheeks and a separate chin on a core. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just kind of yeah. feel what Can't that feels do- like. It's very difficult to do a chin on a flat mold. Yeah. <clears throat> I have done it. <laughs> I had to break it down into three separate pieces. Um, but it's easier if you can just have one piece. Again, you don't get away with it. You you just transfer the panic into three flat molds and the fear of it not looking right <laughs> until it's all on. Um, so it all depends on what the job is, but yeah, the chin and the nose is nice and done, I think, on a separate core. Um, but yeah, so it's quite quite tricky. But um, but there we go. That's the nature of the job. It's a bit of a weird one, but uh, uh, I think yeah. If yeah, any of this is not clear, you know, don't hesitate to, Which to reach won't out be. to us. <laughs> no, it's going to be perfect. Um, but, we'll, ha- you know. we'll have diagrams and charts and with descriptions on the back. But I, I think this is, you know, this is where uh, the the dialogue comes in. You know, if, if if you need to see certain things, and let us know because that will then inform what we do next. Because we could do a, we could do a follow up episode of this with videos and pictures and things. Although I will put some stuff in the blog post with it. So uh, I think that's it for that. Uh, like I say, the prosthetics event twenty twenty one is is good. So that's in the UK. 
Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this in the future, way after this time, this is all boring historical nonsense that doesn't mean anything. But uh, at the moment, it's only a couple of months away. It's not even. Yeah, put, <laughs> 13th put November 13th. November 13th on your calendar. It's a Saturday, and it's in Coventry. And, uh, yeah, it should be awesome. I don't, uh, I don't know when the last time I was at a, a trade show of any description. I think it was the 2019 prosthetics um, yeah. event. I think it was the last one. Um, and I wept because crazy. I w couldn't be there. Well, maybe things will be different this time. Um, but uh, it'll be a fun thing to do. And also, um, we have a couple of things. I know there's a couple of things lined up. I can't talk about it because they're not cast iron yet. But there's a, certain, you know, there's a couple of things that we're certain to be doing, uh, which will be fun. Uh, one of the tough things, I think, is going to be getting the makeups ready in time. You know, But there are going to be mm -hmm. people chomping at the bit who've been working away on things. That just needed, you know. Uh, yeah, they've been working for a year, probably. Yeah, so they just need just, a deadline just. to wrap it up. Now, one of the things is because we're having our roof done, I went through, you know, we went through the loft and pulled down all the boxes. I found a box of my old Fangorias. So I'm going to be going through those, and we'll maybe have to have a talk about those because I really want to find that Evil Dead makeup that uh, that had the Ted Raimi, uh, you know, the Henrietta makeup. Um, that was awesome and it's just one of those makeups that I remember seeing like I say I remember how I felt when I saw it not understanding it and I can play it back in my head now and look at that magazine I remember looking through that magazine and I can see it with my with my eyes now in my mind and go oh that's how they did that and I remember the mold being in fiberglass with the black gel coat I remember seeing that being done it's like why would you mold it in fiberglass you know and I didn't understand then um, that I do now oh god do I know now fiberglass Good lord, um, but yeah. So it was. It was awesome. I love Fangoria. It was such a good magazine, man. Yeah, I've I've been in Fangoria. Have you really? Yeah. Do you have? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, you don't have to find it now, but it might. No, be it's a cool it's uh, actually it was the, uh, a di before the, it was when they were still doing the digital edition of it before they before they came back out with uh, the new print version of it. Uh, oh, but right. the film the film Decay that I designed. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. Um, but they did a did a feature story on on decay, right? Which which is very cool. It's very cool. I remember um, Ed Martinez. He um, messaged the show. He 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 leaves us voice messages on our speakpipe thing, and he um, mentioned because he he got in touch originally to to tell me about the dead pit. And the weird thing was, I remembered re again. Everything goes through my Fangoria Gorzone brain. I remember the cover of the magazine that covered the dead pit. But I hadn't seen the film, so I watched it recently to catch up with it. And there's the the cover of the Fangoria. It kind of looks like a it looks like a kind of an adult with a baby's face. It's really creepy, and it's all slimy and and, and gooey. And uh, I remember that magazine cover, uh, and that's one of the magazines I managed to dig out from up in the loft. So I'm quite pleased about that. And oh, I have to take some pictures of those magazines. Wow, they're just. They're just so much fun. They're just really cool. And they're full of these weird little messages and stuff. Again, this is all before the internet. So people would leave like personal ads and classified ads. <laughs> and it would just, someone would write in and just like, ooh, Freddie and Jason forever. And, you know, that would be their message. That was it. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> well, naturally. Uh, fucking my brain is foggy and I'm tired. And I'm very sorry for that. Well, it's, it's, um, it's getting late. Uh, over there, it's time for a nightcap, perhaps. It is. And when we, when we record next weekend you'll be better rested but um, I wanted to, to, to talk to you about that 
that breaking down things. Partly, I think, as well, to sort of see if anyone would get in touch and ask questions, because it's it's the way in which people don't understand something or want to see more. That's what gives us fuel to come up with other conversations, because I, I could talk about what I think is interesting, or you could think of something you want to talk about, but it's 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 when people ask questions when you go, ah, that's really good, because that's not something I thought of, or that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's coming at it from an angle I hadn't considered. And We're only partly doing these podcasts because we like to hear the sound of our own voices. Well, exactly. <laughs> I love talking about prosthetic stuff, and I talk about this all the time at work, and I talk about it with people that that are interested in it. And I, I think part of it is for me is to to understand things myself because I think this is what's nice about teaching it is you really question, and other people question why you do things the way you do them, and. And you really thoroughly understand it, and it, it it it's pleasing to me, and it reveals your weaknesses as well. You suddenly go, "Shit, mm-hmm. I don't do that." And wonder if I wonder if I don't do collapsible cores as much because actually I don't know how they're done. And then that might make you look at how how stuff's done and and things. And it's it's um it's quite interesting to be that self-reflective at times because it it does. I learn as much as anything, especially when yeah, people no, are in with something. There's you know, a fun yeah. symbiosis between teacher and student. You know, I, when I, I found when I was in, in Portland uh, in, for the month of July teaching that you know, students would ask me questions. They go, huh, I hadn't considered that. And it makes me, you know, I, I get reflective and, and oh, yeah, you could, you could probably do it this way and this way and this way. And, hey, let's, let's try it and see what happens. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's nice as well if you've been teaching for a while that you end up working alongside people that you've taught, and not necessarily that you taught them everything they know. That's not what I'm saying, but they might have just done a few weeks with you or a few days. But the point is, you were you know helpful in some way in their journey, and then you see them years later, and ten years later they're doing you know proper jobs or they're working on the job that you're on, and suddenly you realise the value in, 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 in teaching them good stuff and not just screwing them over. I had a message from somebody talking about a, a course that they were on and what they didn't learn on it and how much it cost them and they were on it for so-and-so and they didn't get to do anything except wax or whatever. And it's just like, that's so... I can't imagine, especially in the, the world of the internet, it's like, how do you get to screw people over like that and take their money and not give them decent education and expect that to be okay? I mean, it's just, you know... There's the place I'm not going to mention that I did work at that seems to be still doing that to people. And it's just like, mm. I don't know. I mean, you you can make a good living by just doing things right. You don't have to screw people over. You know, there's plenty of money to be made by just teaching good information well. Charge a fair amount for it and, and do a good job. You don't need to lie and cheat and move things around and pretend that you're going to run a course that you're going to close down suddenly and not give people their money back or or swap the tutes around or whatever you know what I mean it seems really underhand and it's it's annoying when you care about the subject because you know you've been doing it long enough you know you're going to see these people again and you know you yeah. may even need to rely on them and uh, it's a small it world matter. yeah this especially this this industry is very very small people tend to uh, to, to, to hear about the bad places but you'll be surprised how many still get business even though they seem to screw people over on a regular basis. So, yeah, look him up. Check into things. Make sure you know who the tutors are and <laughs> speak to some of the ex-students and make sure you know where you're at. Yeah. Because Do some research. Uh, don't, don't just find one source. Find multiple sources. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, should I give them your phone number? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'd rather you didn't. But we got the speak pipe. If you want to leave us a yeah. message, you can leave yeah, us a speak, speak pipe. pipe. Um, or you can, you know, you can reach out to us on Instagram or, or Stuart on Facebook. Until the next time, dude. All right, man. Go have a, a bedtime cocktail, and I will talk to you soon. A little bourbon, maybe. A, a wee bourbon. <laughs> All right, dude. Speak to you later. All right, man. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.